Sometimes a dropping from the sky, I heard the skywax sing. Sometimes all little birds that are, how they seem to fill the sea and air with their sweet jargoning. And now twas like all instruments, now like a lonely flute. And now it is an angel's song that makes the heavens be mute. It ceased, yet still the sails made on a pleasant noise till noon, a noise like of a hidden brook in the leafy month of June, that to the sleeping woods all night singeth a quiet tune. Till noon we quietly sailed on, yet never a breeze did breathe. Slowly and smoothly went the ship, moved onward from beneath. Hey everyone, welcome back to Solo Scene. This is the boat episode. Working title, we will perhaps work that out throughout the episode. Aaron, that was a nice little passage of poetry. Thank you. It was from a man called Samuel Taylor Coleridge. Hmm. He was an English poet. He wrote that as an excerpt from a poem called The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner hmm. um, from the late 1790s. And it was like an early example of British romantic wit. So uh, I thought romance, romanticism, these are all Solocene concepts, as we know that <laughs> that movement is at least in part kind of a, a reaction or a response to the Industrial Revolution. So I thought it was relevant. And of course, you said the boat episode, it's a nautical themed poem. And kind of the structure of it is that it is a rhyme or a tale or a story told by an old bearded mariner, like an old man of the sea. And mm. I thought that was kind of a a funny place to start because that is an archetype now that I think about it. Like I've been reading this poem and yeah, that brings to mind other examples from other myths and stories of this like wise old, old man of the sea, basically like Proteus mm. or something like that. Yeah. It's like you're either the old man of the mountain, the old man of the cave yeah. or well, the I think sea. it's kind of the same thing. Yeah. It represents basically you, you've gone away mm. from society. You come back. We'll get into that. So Aaron... Why are we doing a boat episode? Because normally we do episodes about like the world, as in trees or things that are a bit more daily. Sure. Yeah, I kind of push for this episode. Alicia's been tactfully just calling it the boat episode. Mm -hmm. But to ourselves, the working title has been the boat lust episode. Yeah. Because similar to Tolkien's elves from Lord of the Rings, who all have a sea longing that I'll get into, we kind of deem it for ourselves a boat lust <laughs> Meaning that every once in a while, we just get that whim to get out on the sea and get in our cruiser. Yeah, and when we say that, it sounds like we grew up with a history of being on the boat, and it's a kind of nostalgic thing. But no, neither of us were boat children or teens yeah. or adults. Like, we've never really been on boats. So I thought we could kind of just spend half an hour or so analyzing this desire from a Solocene perspective and see mm -hmm. what, we can, what we can draw from it, either about ourselves, but more personally about the beautiful, sustainable, tactile, so we seen future. So yeah. let's start off with the experience that you mentioned, or lack thereof, Alicia. What, <laughs> how do you, what's your grounding on boats? So we both come from Nova Scotia, the province of the sea, yeah, Canada's no, ocean playground yeah, to say. be specific. So it's not like I grew up away from boats. I wasn't raised in a desert. But yeah, my family didn't sail or anything like that. Because when we speak of boats, we mainly speak of sailing ships, not necessarily those huge cruise ships or cargo ships. We're mainly speaking of 
sales. To be honest, I know so little about boats <laughs> that I, I can't even say that for sure. Because I mm -hmm. think there's there's hybrid boats. Yeah. That have sails and engines. Yeah. So. so I'll speak fondly of a few boat memories now. I remember going out and fishing on a lake with my great uncle one mm. time. My dad often had little tiny boats that you could use to go fishing, but I never really took part in that because until I was probably 16 or 17, I had a slight aversion to the sea, Yeah, which we'll maybe get into on the psychology episode, but I didn't like the ocean very much until I was a bit older. You mean tiny, just man-powered boats with oars? Rowboats, but he's he's had the ones with um engines, okay. but never ones with like rooms in them. Yeah, no. I feel like there's kind of a difference between just like a boat and like a a boat where you can sleep, yeah, sort of thing. So those, and then I of course worked on a ship, you could say, for four years. I worked at a heritage key where they had a replica of a ship that they kind of tactfully avoided saying that it was a replica and everyone just kind of thought it was the original because it was in such bad repair <laughs> so they're redoing it now but yeah i worked on a boat it didn't leave the key it just stayed there but it was floating it was floating in the water and you, did you get you got some movement did you it get was, motion sickness not really if you went below deck you felt a bit gross on stormy days but it was a full-size replica of an 18th century cargo ship that had crossed the ocean and brought over Scottish immigrants to Nova Scotia. So like it was very big. It had all of the rigging and stuff and eventually was taken down. But like I, I knew a decent amount of boat things from that experience. Like I couldn't operate a ship. Yes. But I knew the names of everything. You can point to the poop deck. The poop deck. Yes. Right. <laughs> Good for you. I could. So I guess in that those summers that you worked there, how many like you probably spent? You're like a seasoned sailor, basically. Basically, the like I could. You were just always tethered to end. Yeah, <laughs> and there weren't actual sails on the ship. Of course, those were too expensive. But I was around boat people quite a lot because you, you'd get all of the people who were fans coming. Did you swab? I have swabbed the deck. Yeah. Yes, well, I swabbed the deck. Have you hoisted anything? I have not hoisted. I guess there were no sails, so there's not no. much to hoist. No. I want to start kind of adopting this lingo just around our house. I think that would be fun. Swab the deck and it just means like sweep the floor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, can you hoist the main sail for me? And it's just like opening the curtain or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we could work on that. <laughs> Yonder. Mm, yes. Abaft. Uh. Yeah, I know. I've I've done some, some, re some reading as well. <laughs> okay. So for me, I've only ever been on like little ferries i remember one kind mm -hmm. of formative experience was going on a lobster fishing trip yeah when my family first moved to nova scotia i guess that's like a very touristy thing but when you first move to a place you kind of are tourists yeah so yeah i did that with my father and uncle and uh yeah there were lobsters i, I can't believe I you've that done that i didn't that know time. that yeah well lobster fishing is a very hard thing to do yeah i think i was mostly the time i didn't have much much boat lust i think it was mostly um just the smell of the lobsters was kind of off-putting to me mm -hmm. and as you say i was still am scared of the ocean yeah so i think there was a bit of that as well and my family home was very close to a marina mm -hmm. so i used to bum on the on the docks yeah uh especially when like during the summers when people would take their boat out 
I would just sit on the dock, which you're not really supposed to do. <laughs> but I'll just sit there and read or write. And then a couple of times, like I could see the the boat coming back, and I would just scamper away. <laughs> this is before the marina started kind of clamping down on street urchins like me. Well, if it was even 50 years ago, you probably would have been hired as a boat hand if you had been lingering around that long. Yeah. But nowadays, with the way things are, they wouldn't even hire a lowly, a lowly, um, a lowly, yeah, person who knows nothing about boats. You mean? Yeah, exactly. I was always seeing the boats kind of lifted up and people working on them, mm-hmm. and that was always like a very evocative sight to me. Because mm-hmm. for one thing, it sounds silly, but I didn't realize how tall they were beneath the sea. Yeah. So it's like when you see them lifted up, you're like, these things are massive and heavy and rusty and covered in barnacles and algae. So basically. Like when you're kind of walking around, you're walking underneath all these boats and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's very fun. And I remember in winter, we used to go there. And obviously, the docks are all put away and no one's sailing. But the boats are still kind of lifted on these big frames. And the wind would rattle through the uh, all the rigging. And it would sound like ghosts. Ooh. So I picture like ghost ships and stuff like that. Yeah. But something I do really like about being on the sea, I love kayaking. And the couple times in my life that I've canoed, I really, really, really enjoy that. Mm. I think that's really fun. Yeah, for sure. So what we're getting at is the boat lust doesn't come out of nowhere. We both have had a lot of boaty experiences. I actually gave a ghost tour on the boat once, Mm. speaking of it sounding ghostly. And it was just, again, comedic because the boat was like 20 years old. So like, there's no ghosts on the boat. But it was just, you can really make the mood if you... So was there legends about there being ghosts on the boat? No. You just created it? Created them, yeah. Well, I think it's the ghost ship kind of um, image is similar to spooky things in the forest. Mm-hmm. It's just something coming out of the mist, out of the frontier that we don't know much about. Yeah. Something that I pointed out in my notes for this week was the stark difference between boats for work and boats for leisure. Or as I noted this marina, the people who were visiting on their summer trips to Nova Scotia, you know, sailing around and the people who were like working on the boats. And I think the the latter is really appealing to me slightly more than the former. It, it reminds me of mechanics, you know, people mm. who are really into their car or like adjusting things, tuning her up, all that kind of stuff, or bicycles. Yeah. This week I had a my probably my first ever mildly positive experience fixing a bicycle. Mm. And it was a moment of triumph like none other. Yeah. And it's such a benign issue that it sounds almost embarrassing for me to say it on the podcast but it was that the seat post had gotten or the seat frame had gotten stuck Mm -hmm. and it just took a lot of will to eventually move it but i felt like i was pulling the sword from the stone so i think that's something that's really appealing about boats is this idea that you can get close with it Mm -hmm. it's like a cowboy and his horse you know what i mean and you even get to name them you form this kind of relationship with it yeah for sure. And it's in a way that's a bit more pleasant than a car, I imagine. Something else I used to do is wander around the marina when I was younger and look at the names of all the boats. Mm. What would we name our Solacine boats? It's hard to say. Yeah. It's hard to say. I think something classical, though. You'd be like daffodil or like a flower or something nice like that. Sure. <laughs> Delilah. I also was thinking a bit about the difference between working boats and leisure boats. And there's definitely an appeal to the to having a bit of a hybrid. I feel like if you were just leisurely sailing around from just like port to port along a shore, it might get a little bit mundane. I'm sure it would still be very fun. But having a little bit of like, perhaps you're crossing the ocean or you're doing a bit of fishing or something like that, 
I think a hybrid is good. What I think really attracts me to the boat life is the daily ritual of movement. Like you have to wake up and you have to do things. You can't just wake up and then roll over and then go on your computer all day. Like you have to get out on the deck, even if it's stormy, even if it's rainy and like do certain things. You have to empty out the sewage system and do like take care of the boat in a way that we don't really even have to for our apartments or our homes. It's a bit of a good in between of like the life of living on a farm, which is like, obviously you have to get up at like 4am to feed the cows and milk the chickens, you know? Yeah. But it's a bit of a good in between. I think it's in a way that I think we really lack in just like day to day life. I'm going to ask some stories. That I think maybe speak to that, uh, that point a little bit. Mm-hmm. SpongeBob. Yes. The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. Titanic. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. The Odyssey. Sweet Life on Deck. Ah. The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker. Huckleberry Finn. Finding Nemo. Sea Wonging. Noah's Ark. <laughs> yeah. Pinocchio. Porco Rosso. Jason and the Argonauts. The Mysterious Island. And The Life of Pi. Those are just like various books, movies, video games, TV shows that have appealed to me about life on or in the sea. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, key to a lot of them is this fact that you are like you pretty much own one thing. Yeah. And it's both your home and your transport. Mm-hmm. And that's really like it's kind of all the young people today who are van life. Mm-hmm. It's very, very similar to that, except it's much nicer. Yeah, I think both represent a combination of simplicity and security in that you're financially secure to the point that you like own something, which for a lot of people our age, I feel like is a bit of a a far off dream. So like yeah. the dream of owning a boat, not just owning a bicycle, like it's a bit substantial. And like if you it came to it, you could sell it and like, you know, you'll make money off of it. Like there's I mean, that's very, really pedantic, but it's still like a part of the longing, I think, of like the security of owning something. Yeah. But also the simplicity. Like it's like when people own tiny houses or vans, as you're saying, it's a forced simplicity. Like you're not going to have a full size shower. You're not going to have a ton of rooms to take care of. Like it's you only have a limited amount of space and things that you can have on the ship. And therefore, I think it would really make you appreciative of the small things and a bit more mindful. And it's like last week I was talking about like you love the object that you like observe like the things that you have to look at again and again you really fall in love with and I think with a boat especially because there's so few things to look at and like that you have that you're going to really come to appreciate it like we were watching a vlog of someone on a boat and they had a guitar and I'm like I feel like if I was on a boat and there was a guitar even though I don't play the guitar you would be inclined to use it because that was chosen as one thing to bring on it Oh, yeah, that's true. It's kind of like that thing about um, what would you bring to a desert island? Exactly. Actually, it might literally be that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what would you bring if you only had the small space to do it? Yeah, like yeah and like you're away from the internet, I imagine quite a lot of the time your service is not going to be... Well, yeah, that's uh, something else I think is key to a lot of the stories is the the isolation. Like the boat mm-hmm. is often a metaphor, or not even a metaphor, it is this this isolated bubble away from society. And usually this is a, in myths and stories, this is a place for change. Like we yeah. talked about kind of the, the end product of it being this this 
figure of wisdom, but it could be a coming of age. It could be falling in love, like in Huckleberry Finn and, and some other stories. It's kind of this, this social flattening thing. Titanic, mm-hmm. like for instance, like Rose and Jack, they're only together on the Titanic. They wouldn't be in society. It's kind of mm-hmm. thing. like it's because it's away from, from the land. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the roles can kind of get a little bit skewed as well if there's multiple people on. And I think that's, uh, that's key. I wanted to also draw a bit of a contrast between boat stories and space stories because they're, they're somewhat similar. People talk about space as the final frontier in a way that the ocean used to be for people when we were sailing and discovering islands. Now it's more just going around planets in the future, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think there's not as much space less that you have or rocket less? Just because it's less attainable? Less attainable and it's just way more scary to me. I mean, when you're on a boat, you're not under the sea. Like I have a large aversion to submarines. 20,000 leagues under the sea is probably the one piece of media that's like bearable because (laughs) it's so um, like technicolor and doesn't actually look like they're under the ocean. Same with um, Life Aquatic, I guess, as well, in that it's like it has to look really fake for me to even like look at a picture of a submarine. Yeah. And so I think that's a large difference because, like, when you're in space, you're in the metal tube yeah, sort of I thing. Think, I think that's what it is. It's the fact that every morning on the boat or just all the time, you can be out there breathing in the sea spray and, exactly. the, and the sun. Like, I think that's that's a lot of the appeal to it as well, is that the ocean seems so much more naturey than even even green spaces or, quote-unquote, wild spaces in mm-hmm. the developed world. Yeah, for sure. Because I was thinking about that frontier feel. And obviously, it's not the case that on a boat, you're likely to be treading ground for the first time once you anchor or or even like sailing parts of the ocean that have never been sailed before. That's very that's very unlikely. Um, it might even be impossible. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I still think it, it appeals to our feel of exploration and our desire for that because maybe because there's no roads. You know what I mean? You can go in any direction. There's no billboards. And I also think a part of it is the fear. Because as you say, like you used to be, I currently am, you're still quite afraid of the ocean. Mm-hmm. And I think if you were out there, like everybody would be afraid of the ocean when a big storm comes or something. Yeah. And I don't have boat lust to, to like sail the Atlantic or whatever, but I think it's the fact that you can't see what's underneath you. That's what scares me the mm-hmm. most. Like it could be, it doesn't even have to be fear like for your life. It could just be fear as in kind of an, a sense of awe like you don't know yeah. there could be like a dolphin underneath you or something that's very yeah unlikely but <laughs> <laughs> or a whale or a shark or just a fish you've never seen before it's true or as this week's organism of the week shows a sea sponge the sea sponge yeah, wow the humble sea sponge of which there are roughly five to ten thousand species mm-hmm. so it's not just like the sea sponge the one i wanted to focus on is called Apicelina fistularis. And do you want to know why I chose this sea sponge? Is it the SpongeBob sponge? Yes, it is. Mm. So this is according to SpongeBob Musical, which I actually didn't know about, but apparently that was a, <laughs> a show on Broadway, or still yeah. is, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, that's what they name him as. Cool. And it doesn't look like SpongeBob, because SpongeBob is modeled after a kitchen sponge, I'm quite <laughs> sure. It's a yellow, it's called a yellow tube sponge, like that's okay. the other name for it. It's abundant in the Caribbean, so I guess that checks out for Bikini Bottom. Uh, it was first found and kind of catalogued scientifically in the 1700s. Its primary predator is the hawksbill turtle. Mm. Didn't realize that 
sponges had predators, but there you go. Like most sponges, it can reproduce sexually or asexually. By like a piece of it breaking off, it will just plant. Mm -hmm. So I guess SpongeBob is kind of accurate to that, scientifically accurate. Mm -hmm. And it kind of looks like, it's hard to describe, but it looks like upright cylinders. So okay. like big hollow, like a big hollow vase or something. I guess vases are always hollow, but, but bright yellow. And it looks very kind of, it looks man-made to be honest. Mm. Not in the sense that it's very straight edged, but just the, it doesn't look like this random organic growth. Like they look like, mm -hmm. they're very smooth. Let me put it like that. I see. Sponges. What do you know about sponges? Don't know too much. Are there filter feeders? Yeah, most of them just eat bacteria and mm -hmm. tiny things through filtering. Which kingdom are they in? Um, they're invertebrae. Which kingdom of life? The animal kingdom? Yeah, animal kingdom. Yeah. I was surprised by that. I thought they were like... Plants? Sponge kingdom or something yeah. like that. They were the first to branch off of the rest of animals. That's mm -hmm. why they are different. <laughs> to put it mildly. Some of them are carnivorous. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like... Uh, like the harp sponge? <laughs> Imagine if you were actually just a spongeologist. <laughs> I don't know if that's the name. No, right. that's the only sponge I know because you told me about it this week yeah. and said it was carnivorous. Yeah, I think it is. But I also learned that some of the, the material that they use mostly, to, like most that most sponges are made of, basically, is just called spongin. Spongin? <laughs> yeah. S-P-O-N-G-I-N. Yeah. I mean, it makes okay. sense that the creative SpongeBob was so creative as a marine biologist because yeah. I feel like the the ocean world is just so bizarre. Some of them have photosynthetic organisms, so they mm. can kind of, you know, kind of part like. Yeah. Uh, yeah, with the marine biology thing, I, I was just thinking, like, with regards work and leisure, even if you had a plan of like, I'll go out here to write something about the sea or to take photos or to make paintings. You know what I mean? Like having the objective of going out there would just make it seem, or oh, I'm going to go to this new island I've never been before. I'll try and make it somewhere faster than I've ever done it before. Mm. I'll try and pick up a siren. Yeah. It just feels like daily life would have a little bit of an edge to it edge, in a yeah. way that we don't really have in that, yeah, like, even if it starts to downpour, like, you have to, you can't just hide away. Like, you're going to have to deal with it one way or another. May I read a quote? Yes, you may. From Lord of the Rings. Of course. <laughs> and then you say, no, you can't. Uh, this is from Return of the King. It says, The sea, alas, I have not yet beheld it, but deep in the hearts of all my kindred lies the sea longing, which it is perilous, perilous to stir. Alas, for the gulls, no peace shall I have again under beech or under elm. Who do you think says that? Legolas. Yeah, Legolas says that of his kindred, the elves. Mm -hmm. For those of you who don't know, Tolkien's elves, they all have a a sea-longing kind of implanted in them through their genetic memory or something like that. Mm -hmm. They all just kind of, like an instinct. Yeah. They all at some point wish to return. I think it's returning. I don't really know Middle Earth all that, that well, but mm -hmm. they want to go basically. Yeah. And so the sounds of the gulls, the smell of the sea, that kind of pulls them. And I think I'm part elf. Ah, uh, yes, obviously. Well, I think we all have a bit of a sea longing. Because it's like, I don't think there's ever been anyone who, like, they see the beach for the first time and they're like, meh. Like, I think the beach think is always going to be... I terrified of things like that. I didn't say not afraid, but, like, who is like, this is ugly or this is, like, unappealing visually. 
Yeah. Because it's like proven that the waves and the color blue and the sounds all yeah, like ocean sounds people sleep calm to that, you. Have yeah. never never visited the ocean. Exactly. But some people, you know, there's a question about you're a mountain or an ocean person. Mm-hmm. What do you say? I'm both. Like I really don't you think I could choose. choose. I have to choose. Yeah. Hmm. Then I'd have to choose the C. <laughs> <laughs> capital t capital s yeah exactly i mean i really like mountains like i'm definitely also a mountain girl but i've never really been to many mountains that's kind of part of the allure of them is that every time i see one even in the distance it kind of is like i saw harry styles or something oh he's just married but um (laughs) the thing with mountains they don't have this universal smell it's true which i think is really neat about the sea Mm. taking it back to gretchen ruben wife and five senses we have the sounds, the smells. Can you make a C sound right now? <laughs> That's more like a wind sound. But uh, the the shells that you can listen to. The taste of the ocean water. Yeah. Because you know when you're really thirsty on a beach day and yeah. you're just like, oh, it looks so oh, tasty. I swallowed gallons in my day. <laughs> um, so just like closing about these stories... I think it's also pertinent that so many of them are for children, directed to children. Mm. And my reasoning is that for children, everything is kind of like the sea. It's true. That's why I was like, like when you're young, just walking around kind of feels like when you're old, picturing sailing around the ocean. Because mm. there's less obstructions and you just feel freer. It's and true. I think as we age, just walking around or driving around cities, towns, rural areas becomes more fixed and more discreet and you start to notice Mm. this is where you're supposed to walk you know what i mean this is where you're supposed to stop even whereas when you're a kid you can just i don't know i'm gonna walk down this alley it's true and it's also cool the ocean is analogous with like there's the ocean there is dragons and there's dinosaurs it's like it's put up there as one of the locations or the settings of like adventure But it's pretty much the only one that's real or like at least modern because it's like, yeah, there used to be like kingdoms and stuff, but those aren't around anymore. But like, yeah, it's the only modern and real setting for the most part. I'm sure there's the forest. I mean, it would be like um, kids going through phases. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's something to that as well. Mm -hmm. Pirates. The pirates weren't that long ago. There's still actually a lot of pirates, but that's for another episode, the pirate episode. So... (laughs) I thought we would close with like some solacine notes, like okay. what are some direct lessons that we can learn from this or, or ideas that we can draw from this. Yeah. And my first one is that our water sense is neglected today. What do I mean by our water sense? I don't know. You know that, that anime avatar? Yeah. With like the, the different elements? Mm-hmm. It's like that. I feel like our water sense, our water element, it sounds so kind of hippie, but it's neglected <laughs> today. And in the solar scene, we will have fountains and bathhouses. And like you said, oh, I don't like being wet. Mm-hmm. It's like, we should all like being wet. Yeah. Or rain. When it rains, everyone, oh, no, I can't go outside. It's like, why? Yeah. So I think that's... Uh, Your water sense. That's something. That, and it's also funny because, or maybe a, a slight irony that bathrooms, I feel, are always nautical themed. That is kind it's of like, funny. Whereas bathrooms are kind of this, this, you know, it's like a social no go it's like a it's an embarrassing place that you don't talk about or like spend time in unless you have to Mm -hmm. but we make it seem kind of like you're on a ship or something like that with 
rope and like anchors. Mm-hmm. Do you like a picture of an anchor on the wall? We have a picture of a boat on our wall. So that's what, yeah. that's what made me think it. It's always <laughs> blue green. Yeah. But I think if we had a bit, a bit of a, a more inspiring relationship to water, our water yeah. sense was a bit better. Like, what about water features? Yeah. Or we're always walking around here. We're like, where can I drink? Yeah. I can't. I have to pay for it from the vending machine. Mm-hmm. But wouldn't it be cool if there were like ancient aquifers? Yeah. I'm not sure what that is. That's cool. Near us, also, since it's summer, and especially on the very hot days, there is a mister there is a on mister. the sidewalk. And everybody always kind of like smiles when they look at it or go near it. Because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, water, don't see that very often. It's true. Except in my Nalgene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> For anyone who isn't from Montreal, because I feel like these aren't exactly prolific around the world. Well, people do the fire hydrant thing, don't they? Yeah. But again, it's seen as a juvenile mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Misters. Um, my biggest takeaway is trying to make our house more boat-like, simpler. Swabbing. Swabbing. Well, not necessarily in that way, but just simplifying the things that we own to be a bit more curated. And then also going outside every day. Mm. Like, probably first thing is best. Because I feel like when you're on a boat, you have to go out first thing and last thing. I'm just kind of like, yeah, being with... Imagine the stars on the open ocean. That'd be pretty crazy. Oh, I'm feeling it. <laughs> we'll cut that. <laughs> um, another another soloing thing, just like boats used for travel more. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not really talking about like crossing the Pacific or something, but it's less emissions than a plane. So yeah. it's like if you're going from, I don't know, Nova Scotia to New York, maybe consider in the soloing it being a a boat thing, and it's also it's a Solocene idea because, I mean, I think we'll get more into transportation on later episodes, but we are viewing the journey not just as this necessary, awful thing cooped up in a plane with a child crying behind us where we have to watch a movie to distract ourselves from it, um, but as a, as a pleasant experience and a potentially enriching, rewarding educational one mm. in itself. Because I know it takes longer. That's the thing people would say. <laughs> I know it takes longer. But you can swap. So, or rather, you can breathe air that isn't just recycled like crazy, like on planes. Mm -hmm. Like you can stick your head outside. Yeah, I think making transatlantic sailing safer and more pleasant would be a great place to start for solacine transportation. Yeah, it takes longer, but it doesn't have to take like weeks and weeks and weeks. It can take just like a few days if it's efficient. And yeah, it would just be a more pleasant experience and become part of it. I'm very, very very anti-cruise which i guess i didn't want to bring down the vibe on this episode Tom so it's like i don't want it <laughs> so it's like i don't want these transatlantic boats to be like cruise ships but yeah i don't know much about cruise ships so no. i'll leave it at that but i did think in the solo scene challenging the retirement paradigm that's what i wrote mm. the sense that i'll have fun i'll enjoy myself relax take a cruise when I'm 65. Mm-hmm. So I get on a boat before that. Yeah. That would be fun. I was also thinking about cinematic representation because cinema is such a wild, crazy invention that can show us anything. I mean, think about animation. It can show us so much. And yet almost every single film is set today in a mundane world featuring the people of today. Yeah. It's like we could do some more oceany stuff. And I think that would kind of scratch the itch a little bit. Like I was thinking about uh, 
the Planet Earth documentaries. Mm-hmm. I think those were more formative than I often think because I would just like it's not like I was I was a fiend for them. I would sit down and watch them every night, but it's like they were just always around. You know what I mean? When the teachers didn't really want to teach, they're <laughs> going to learn about the sea. Mm-hmm. So I think that's something. And then my final point is just more willingness slash opportunity to go off-road, not necessarily into water, but just in the world around us. Yeah. In the solo scene, I think this would also scratch the itch quite a bit. And I was picturing like the, I guess all across Canada, but beside the highways is just forest. Mm-hmm. Almost always it's just like forest. But I feel like nobody knows the legality of just going into it. Yeah. But you can. If you want, you can just go into the woods. Mm-hmm. So I think if we kind of made that a bit more of a thing. Yeah, for sure. Maybe making it a bit more accessible, technically. Because it's like, in Canada specifically, you're allowed to go into the woods if it's crown land. But then even then, you go in and someone yells at you and says, get off my yeah, land. Like, not, you wouldn't not know. Labeled. Yeah. That's the other thing. <laughs> and um, I was also thinking, because not everybody has the luxury of living in a place that has so many wilderness areas as Canada does. But even when we went to Athens, like you and I, mm-hmm. not knowing a, a lick of Greek, <laughs> nope. that felt like crazy exploration. Anything could happen. There was danger. Yeah, We were almost uh, pickpocketed. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be going to Greece, but going to a new part of your city. Like going to new parts of Montreal feels like that to me yeah, sometimes. Yeah, it does. Getting lost deliberately, going places without your phone or without a map or where you don't know the language. All these kind of things. Yeah, for sure. Can we name the Solacean boat yet? <laughs> do you have ideas, Aaron? No. No. Nor do I. The macaroni. I think it should be something inspiring. What about this? The Solacean. Okay. Oh, no, the Solacean. Isn't that a type of boat? I think it is, but that's a very forced pun, but I'm going to keep it. The solo schooner. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) There it is. There we go. So all this to say, if you have a boat and you want to take us on it, reach out by email. Yeah, we're shamelessly (laughs) just cussing that out there. Yeah, so please take us on your boat and we will happily learn and swab the decks or whatever needs to be done. So thank you all for listening. Let us know if you have boat lust. We'd love to hear about it. Yes, contact us through the link in the description. We really like listener feedback. Or mm-hmm. leave a comment. Yeah. You can do that on podcast review thing. Bye, mateys.